Take a seat. Thank you very much, Johnny. And that's right. As we come to look at the Bible, what we're praying is that actually where we were blind, we'd see all sorts of things. And uh, where we were once dead, Jesus would bring life. So if you've got a Bible there, I wonder if you'd find what's called in the Bible Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews and chapter 3, the big numbers are chapters. The little numbers we call verses or sentences. They help us to navigate. If you'd like uh, a Bible this morning, just put your hand up and Stuart will bring you one. If you don't have a Bible at home or one that's easy to read at home, then please take one of these home with you. Stuart, just on my left as well, Stuart. Uh, that's it. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, and, and turn with me, Hebrews chapter 3, it's been between, uh, on page 1202, page 1202 if you're using one of these churches' Bibles, and we're going to move a little bit around this morning at a couple of different passages as we look at what it says just in sentence 1. We're working our way very slowly right the way through this letter, we're just looking at one sentence uh, today of this ancient letter or transcript of a sermon, and this is what sentence 1 of chapter 3, page 1202 says, it says this, therefore... Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. I want to start with a little question before we then dig into that to help us get thinking. And I want you to think about it genuinely and quite significantly just in your own minds for a moment. What would you say is humanity's greatest need? So what would you say right now today in all the beautiful and joyful and wonderful things happening around our world and all that is so destructive and damaging and hurtful and painful, what would you say is humanity's greatest need? Now, if it helps you, downscale it and, and think of a friend for a moment. Maybe that global level is just too big, it's too complicated. And just think of yourself, perhaps, or a loved one or a colleague at work. Just bring someone into your mind for a moment. What is their greatest need? Um, is it money, finances, which are really tight and demanding and difficult? Is it, is it equality? Maybe on a global scale particularly you think that actually it's, it's about the distribution of things, isn't it? Unequally distributed. And, uh, the issue is equality. Um, maybe it's uh, something about uh, contentment in the situation we find ourselves in. The destructiveness of keeping up with the Joneses and the drive to do better. Um, maybe it's a mental health or a physical health challenge. That is someone's greatest need. And certainly when we think of people we know, uh, we're going to think at that kind of level. And it's going to be very real and very painful for us as we try and support them through a journey like that. What is your or humanity's greatest need? See, what the Bible, what the Bible suggests is that underneath all those great needs we have are two source great needs, if you like, the greatest needs that all of us have and humanities have. Now, what we need to be careful, and especially uh, perhaps when we talk to a friend tomorrow or this week uh, about some of this, one of the things we need to know is we mustn't fall into the trap of what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. It's a fantastic phrase, isn't it? Chronological snobbery. What it means by that is saying, well, just because something is old, it should be dismissed. Some of us need to hear that loud and clear, don't we, this morning? Um, just because something is old, it shouldn't be dismissed. Just because the Bible is old, actually, that's, that's credence for why it should be listened to. Because multiple centuries, it's been found to be a great source of wisdom into life. And it suggests there are two great needs. Under, underneath all of those other things we should list, two greater than all those needs. Number one is the need to hear from God. And number two is the need to meet with God. 
that actually we have this great need to hear from God, to get a, a word from God. Revelation is the technical language for it. Because it's only when we hear from God that we start to get answers to the big questions of life. Who am I? Who is God? Why am I here in this life? What does it mean to be a parent? Why am I married? How do I, how do I make life work? And in fact, if we don't hear from God on those big questions of life, then we're left with two options, two alternatives, either speculation or assimilation. Speculation is when we follow our own best guesses. I'll take my best shot at actually what my life should be about, what my purpose is, what my marriage is about. I'll take a best shot at it. It's speculation. And of course, any of us who have indulged in any personal reflection know that our decision making is not always what we would hope or expect in hindsight. And if we don't rely then on speculation for the answers to these big questions of life, we have to rely on assimilation. Where speculation is following our own best guesses, assimilation is following society's best guesses. Just going with majority view. I'll just slot into that because most people seem to think that's the right way to go. Well, friends, where personal reflection shows us how unsafe speculation is, Any historical commentary will show us how poor society's decisions can be in hindsight as well. And so underlying all of our great needs, there is the greatest need of needing to hear from God, to know the answers to those questions of identity and purpose and meaning. And how does God feel about us? But the second underlying greatest need is not just to hear from God, but to meet with God. Not just a word from God, but a way to God. Reconciliation, if you like. Because actually that's the source of feeling a real connectedness, a certainty, and an access, availability to God. What's the alternative to that? To not having a way to God? Well, Jesus, who is the most loving man who has ever lived, Jesus in Mark chapter 9, uses the analogy, the illustration of a place called Gehenna. He says, actually, if you don't have a way to God, a connection with God, then you are destined to spend your life living in Gehenna. Gehenna was a valley on the edge of Jerusalem. You can still go visit it today. And for centuries, it had been used as the city's dump ground. People would throw rubbish and their excrement and carcasses of animals and and even corpses of criminals that had been executed, all thrown into this valley century after century after century. A rancid, rank, horrific place, populated by packs of wild dogs with their snapping teeth, constantly on fire as they tried to keep it under control and light those smouldering, mulchy fires that smoke forever, and full of python-sized snakes that gorged themselves on what was available there. And Jesus says, actually, if you don't have a way to God, this great need of all humanity, then you are destined actually to live an experience equivalent to setting up home in Gehenna. Horrific. From that word Gehenna, we get the English word hell. And so these underlying two greatest needs that all of humanity have, that if, you, if we love and care for the people around us as well, we'll try sensitively and wisely, courageously to communicate this to people, is we need to hear from God, to know actually what life is all about, and we need to meet with God and have the fullness and the richness of that experience, not the alternative. Well, have a look again, if you would, at sentence one here in Hebrews 3, because it gives us the answer to this. Let me read it to you again. It says, therefore, 
page 1202, right-hand column at the bottom there. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. We're actually going to look properly at those two little titles there, apostle and high priest. They're titles like doctor or professor or sir, titles bestowed upon Jesus. But have a look at what comes first, that little context there. Do you see where he says to the brothers and sisters? Do you see that wonderfully inclusive language? He's about to issue an invitation and he wants to make it clear that actually everyone is invited. Nobody is left behind. Anyone can come. Brothers, sisters, there's an invitation. It's coming through your door, whoever you are. So it doesn't matter this morning, actually, if you're rich or a bit of a rascal or if you're running away from God. It doesn't matter if you're a wanderer, feel like a warrior or a deeply wounded this morning. If you're overweight, overpaid or overlooked, none of it matters. It doesn't matter if you've been forgotten, are forgetful or are frightened of life. If you're spiritual or practical or neglectful, it doesn't matter whether you're paranoid, perplexed or purposeful. You will receive this invitation. That's what the brothers and sisters is there for there. It's good alliteration, wasn't it? Yeah, someone, someone look impressed. There we go. Yeah. It's coming to us all. And do you see the little word there? Who share in this heavenly calling. Heavenly. It's God. And he's calling to all of us. He's calling. He's calling from heaven. God is calling your name. Whoever you are. Whatever your context, whatever your background, wherever you're going, he's got your name on his lips. And that call, that invitation, I mean, it's a million times better than when that ravenous teenager in their sugarloaf grouch hears, dinner's ready up the stairs. That's a good calling to receive, isn't it? As you come flying down to scoff into pork chops or whatever. It's infinitely better than the calling that the ambitious graduate gets, having done the interview and filled out the forms and done the assessment panel. And she gets the call that she's got the job. That's a call, isn't it? Infinitely better than that call. Better than the calling of the disciplined athlete sacrificed so much who finally finds out they're in the squad. Better even than the impatient Chrissy waiting to hear, your visa is issued. This calling is immense, enormous, gigantic, and it's to everyone. And is the call, the invitation to fix our thoughts on Jesus as the apostle and high priest. Now let's have a look at those two words, okay? First of all, apostle. This is that Jesus is the word from God, that God has spoken. You can hear God. So can your work colleague. So can the guy who sits next to you in the van as you trundle to the next job. So can your partner. They can hear from God. Jesus has made that possible. The word apostle literally means one sent both with the message and the authority of the sender. That's what the word apostle means. It's the only time in the Bible that it's referred to Jesus as the apostle here. We'll come on in a minute to other apostles in the Bible. So it's the only time Jesus is given that title, an apostle of God. He is the one who has both the, the message and the authority of God himself as he comes into the world. Now let's just pause for a moment and get our wits around us. Take a metaphorical deep breath if needed and tune back in. Because I want to think practically for a moment. Because it's one thing to say, yes, Jesus is the, the spokesperson for God. It's one thing. It's relatively abstract. But what does this mean now? How does Jesus speak today? You have a life situation that's tricky to navigate. How do you hear 
what Jesus has to say about that today. What about your friend at work? person who's at home right now while you're here. You want them to hear from God, don't you? So, so how? How? And the answer lies in this word apostle. Because here this word apostle is in its unique way used about Jesus. Jesus the apostle of God. But then Jesus borrows this word and he uses it about a little cluster of people that he makes his apostles. He passes the message on to them. We know them in the Bible as people like Paul and James and Peter. The, some of the original followers of Jesus, who Jesus says, look, I need a way to get my message across all time and across all the world. There's no point in giving it to just a few people. Because if a few people have it, those people can only speak to so many people at a time. They can only be in one place at a time. I'm going to equip you, those original little cluster, I'm going to equip you to record it down in a trustworthy way so it can last forever. That's what we call the Bible. From God to Jesus, to his apostles, to us all in the Bible. <coughs> Open up your Bibles again and let me show you Jesus doing that. If you turn with me, please, to John chapter 14. This is um, page 1082, page 1082. John, John's account of Jesus's life page 1082, and John chapter 14. Here Jesus is talking to those original group, what's often called his disciples, in a context where he's just announced that he's leaving them and they're all flustered and, and frantic and worried about that, and Jesus is telling them about what's going to happen in his absence before he goes. Look at John 14, sentence 16, if you would, right-hand column of page 1082. Sentence 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He speaks that religious cluster and goes, one of your jobs is going to be to record accurately what I've said and what I've done. And so I'm going to equip you to do that with the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit for them of truth. Not of mistakes, not of fabrication, not of speculation, but the reality about who Jesus is. So when they come to write it down, what we call the New Testament, we can be confident it's accurate. Uh, look, Jesus says it again, sentence 25 to 26, right-hand column of 1083. All this I've spoken while still with you, says Jesus. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Do you see what he's doing? He's equipping these apostles, these Bible writers-to-be, to be able to remember and teach. Remember what Jesus did and actually teach what it means. So that when we read it, we can be confident it's what Jesus would want us to know. Because all human beings take a lot of persuading. Jesus says it a third time. John 15. So turn over a page. Top left-hand column of 1084. 15, 26 to 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The word testify there, court language, means to tell the truth clearly. Jesus has told the truth clearly, and now he's equipping them by the Holy Spirit to tell the truth clearly. So when they testify, when they wrote it down, and we read it, we can be confident it's accurate and it's clear. 
See, it's remarkable, friends, that our biggest need, one of our biggest needs, is that we would hear from God. And Jesus is the way we can hear from God. And the way he's done it is to get his Bible written accurately and then give to the church people who are able to teach it. The way we hear from God, predominantly and trustworthy, is as we hear the Bible taught. Yes, he pokes us and prompts us and speaks in a variety of different ways, depending on our personality and experiences. Of course he does. This morning I spoke to someone who talked about a dream they've had, which I'm absolutely certain was a little prompt and guiding from Jesus. Of course he speaks in multiple ways. He's God. He's allowed. But the sure and certain way that he speaks, the trustworthy things he is saying, are recorded here. So two brief applications for you. Number one is expect pastors, people paid by the church to do something, Expect them to expel their energy praying, preparing, and preaching. That is fundamentally what they are there for, so that you guys get to hear what Jesus is saying. You're not paying them or releasing them like me. I'm obviously talking about myself here amongst others. You're not paying us to go read newspapers, magazines, and opinion pieces and come up with the best of human knowledge. You're not paying us to wonder what God might be saying to us and pass on some personal message like we have a, we're some kind of spiritual guru. You're paying us to, on our knees in prayer, do the hard work of understanding and communicating clearly what Jesus is saying here. Secondly, expect to listen to preaching to hear Jesus, not what the human communicator is saying. At least 50% of good preaching, at least 50% of hearing Jesus when the Bible is taught is down to good listening, not good preaching. There is only so much whoever's at the front here can do. We can only get halfway. You've got to listen, not listening to what the human communicator is saying. To then go home at the end of, end of uh, lunch and say, well, he went on too long and that story wasn't very good and she did rabbit on about that. You've been listening to the human there, haven't you? If you find yourself criticizing the communicator, it may be legitimate criticism. I know I have a lot of verbiage, yeah? But that means you've not been listening with ears to hear Jesus, have you? If you've taken on board all the errors of the communicator. So that's the first thing, is Jesus makes it possible for us to hear from God. He's made it universally possible. It's there in the Bible. You could open this up over a coffee at work with your daughter as she goes to sleep at night on the bus uh, with a colleague uh, after the sports game. It's universally, universal language. He's made it available. Jesus has made it possible for us to hear from God. Number two then, what about the way to God? That not only is one of our greatest needs to hear from God, but the second greatest need is to have a way to God, to, to meet with God. Not just revelation, but reconciliation. Well, look again, if you want to, turn back to Hebrews chapter 3, so you can see it's there in the Bible. You're, you're checking that I'm actually teaching what's here, not making it up. Here's Hebrews chapter 3, sentence 1. Two great titles given to Jesus. The first, acknowledge him as the apostle, the one who speaks on God's behalf. But secondly, the high priest, the one who makes a way to God. Now, the high priest in their uh, concept, when they originally received this, was a mediator. The high priest's job was to stand between God and people and people and God and, and make some kind of reconciliation, agreement, relationship where that relationship was broken. 
Look back just a couple of sentences to Hebrews 2, sentence 17. It's just a sentence or two back up the column there, sentence 17. He says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You see Jesus there as a high priest again, making atonement. That's a funny word, isn't it? It literally means at one month. Atonement, at one month. Jesus makes it possible that God and people who are broken into two can be made at one, reconciled back together. If you have a different translation of the Bible, instead of atonement, the word you might find there is propitiation. Now, interestingly, in, in this translation of the Bible, they chose the word atonement as more common language than propitiation. I don't think I use either word in regular conversation. I don't know about you. Some of you may more sophisticated than me. But the word propitiation, a little bit more accurate to the original, means the giving of a gift sufficient to appease rightful anger. The giving of a gift that is sufficient to satisfy someone's rightful anger. And we are taught that Jesus not only is the high priest who makes this possible, he himself, his life, actually, as he dies on the cross, is the gift sufficient to satisfy God's rightful anger. Now, the actual word propitiation in the original only appears four times in the Bible. But the concept, the idea behind it of a gift given to satisfy rightful anger and to fix a broken relationship, that appears over 600 times in the Bible. It is right at the heart of how Jesus has made a way to God for us to connect with God, not to have that, that experience of Gehenna, but actually to return to God and be reconciled and having the opposite, that rich fullness of a life with God. If you're still with me, which lots of you are, which is very, very good, I'm impressed. We're going to do one more Bible jump, okay? Let's go all the way back to Genesis, okay? Right at the beginning of your Bibles, if you're not familiar with your Bibles, Genesis is right at the start, Genesis 32. It's on page 35 of these church Bibles. Genesis 32, page 35. Genesis literally means the origins the initiation of things. And right here at the beginning of the Bible, we see that God always intended that this gift that satisfies anger would be offered by Jesus so we could be friends again with God. The story here in Genesis 32 is about two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, his name literally means the deceiver, the conarchist, the shyster. Yeah. And what he had done is had behaved in a way to his brother Esau that had left his brother Esau rightfully furious and angry. Let's pick up the story uh, in sentence 7, Genesis 32, sentence 7. Uh, sentence 6, sentence 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob from Esau, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Do you see what's going on? 
Esau is rightfully furious. It is absolutely just Esau's anger. And he's got 400 men. Now, these are not dainty dancer types. These are warriors with a track record of slaughter and blood and brutality. It's an army, 400 men Esau has, coming to rightfully treat Esau, uh, Jacob, as Jacob deserved. And Jacob, it says, is in fear and in distress and terrified. But now look what Jacob does. Pick it up in sentence 13, if you've got it open. Look what Jacob does. Jacob spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female goats with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female goats and 10 male goats. He then put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. Sentence 17. He instructed the one in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. When you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say that your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For Jacob thought, here's the key thing, I will pacify Esau with these gifts. That word pacify is the same word translated propitiation, appease, satisfy. These gifts will satisfy his anger. And then later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Do you see? That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the gift, not of all those animals, but he is the living gift who gives his life to pacify, appease, propitiate the rightful anger of God. And just as Jacob hoped... Esau receives the gift as sufficient to appease his anger, and when they finally meet, it's in the embrace of love because all the anger is dealt with. That is what Jesus has done. He offers as the high priest his own life as the only sufficient gift able to appease the rightful anger of God at the brokenness in his world. And so when we meet with God, it is no longer in anger, but only in Love. That's all that's left, because the anger is fully, totally, and utterly satisfied by the gift of Jesus' life, a gift he voluntarily, willingly offers. And so what is our response? Well, actually, Jacob helps us enormously well. If you've still got your Bible at Genesis 32, look at a last sentence, sentence 21, right at the bottom of the left-hand column. It says, so Jacob's gift went on ahead of him, but he, Jacob, spent the night in the camp. Jacob sends the gift and then he goes to sleep. Totally trusting the gift is sufficient. At that moment, Esau with his warriors are still marching in fury. But the gift has been sent. And so Jacob trusts the gift is sufficient and sleeps. He doesn't work or worry. He goes to bed. And so it is with us, a deep-seated restfulness 
that the gift Jesus has given is sufficient. God's anger is totally dealt with. And so when God meets us, it is just like Esau and Jacob, the embrace of family love. So which is it for you this morning? Which is it for your friend you'll see later today? Friend you're having coffee with on Wednesday, the one you've left at home, your teenager? Which is it? The great need of hearing from God that comes as we understand this, where Jesus speaks for God to the world in a universal language? Or is it the way to God, that trust that the gift Jesus offered of himself is sufficient and the anger of God is appeased? Friends, don't fall in the trap with your friends or in your own thinking of thinking God is just love. Bible tells us he's love, but God is not just love. If you only know a God of love, you do not know a God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is full love and full justice, full wrath at wickedness and evil in this world. And some of that resides in our own hearts, that wickedness and evil. And some of that anger is rightly deserved by us. And yet, Jesus has gifted himself to appease that anger. Don't let your friends think that God isn't angry at them. Let them realise he loves them so much, Jesus dealt with the anger he has at them. Let me pray for us. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Ponder, reflect on these things, and the Lord will give you understanding in all of them. And so I do pray, Holy Spirit, you might help us to use the faculties you've given us, our thinking and our feeling and our doing, to reflect on these things, that Jesus has made a way for us to hear from God, and Jesus has made a way for us to meet with God in love, not anger. He is our apostle, he is our high priest, he issues an invitation to all to accept that, to live a life in response to what God is saying, and to live in eternity embraced by God's love and sheltered from God's anger. Help us to reflect on these things so that you might give us understanding into them. And I pray this now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing. We're going to sing praise. If you'd like either Chris or I to pray for you or particularly a friend you're going to see, you want us to stand with you and just pray for that friend, work colleague, then Chris and I will both be just lurking at the front. We'll just say a short prayer. Give us their name. Together we'll just say a short prayer for people you want to be prayed for. Let's stand and sing in our last few minutes together. Mm -hmm.